0: Reed, we may as well just pack up our bags and find a new career because I read an article this week that told me that the internet died five years ago.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I do woodworking and, and
1: leather stuff on the side. So if anybody that's interested or an oil painting or something, I'm happy
0: to happy to help just reach out. Of course with the internet being dead, I'm not sure how you're gonna reach me. And I bake bread, so you know, I think we we all have like post internet careers. But now this article is interesting, Reed. It actually brings up what they actually are calling the dead internet theory. It suggests that the internet has been almost entirely taken over by artificial intelligence and bots. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, you can say anything and just blame it on a bot, I guess.
1: Welcome to
2: Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way.
1: Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 248. Chris, we're narrowing in on a, a quarter of a... One quarter of a thousand. The, the Kata of a Thousand. Okay. The Kata of a Thousand. Also a great band name. But um, here we are, two hundred forty-eight. We're, we're we're nearing two hundred and fifty. Uh, welcome, one and all. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Or if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, I'm Chris, and that's Reed. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording this pretty close to Halloween, so you know I'm dressing know. up as
0: you this this year, yeah. Reed. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there you go. There you
1: go. Well, we hope to have another great episode today. Uh, really excited for the interview that we have and and just kind of continuing on this theme of the new reality. We've talked a lot about digital front door and kind of choosing positions, things like that. And I think this will kind of be an extension of the last few weeks. And so uh, we've gotten some good feedback and, and want to kind of continue to double down here for for at least at least another week. Absolutely. Before we do, a couple of things to point out touchpoint.health is the website. That's where you can find out more about this uh, episode you're listening to, the show you're listening to. If you want to go back and check out those previous couple of episodes that I just referenced, certainly you can do that at any uh, podcasting app, streaming service, or uh, over at the website, touchpoint.health. If you do make it to the website, we encourage you to check out the TPS report. You'll notice it up in the top navigation. Click on that, give us your name, give us your email address, and we will then send you. One email a week just one one email each Monday has five articles to get your week started and uh, hopefully you find that that content valuable so we'll pause here for just one second and then be back with uh, today's show Chris in today's digital age your online reputation as we all know is crucial with customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors.
0: Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating.
1: Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty.
0: And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So as you said, Reed, this is sort of a continuation of the themes that we've been talking about lately. And I think these things are really interesting. I, I know that in my career right now, I'm really focusing a lot on digital front door strategies and looking at content and uh, find a doctor and a variety of different things to really support enhancing the way people can interact with our organization and really truly make front doors or revolving doors, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. You're probably seeing that a lot, too.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we've seen a lot around internal communications and and things like that about connecting with employees based on the last 18 months, you know, people are are seeing that need, certainly, and even with some of the mergers and acquisitions that we're seeing in the market. But I would say, you know, setting that aside, you know, the other big kind of topic is, is like, okay, digital front door, whether they call it that or not, is, is where they're focused, because, obviously, we're, we're seeing that more consumerism push and the expectations of consumers. And so this has become another
0: big thing, which is obviously why we've talked about what we've talked about the last few weeks. And, you know, for us as digital professionals, we really like this concept of the digital front door, but we also realize that Developing a good one requires a lot of things that are kind of behind the scenes, right? The infrastructure stuff. And so we kind of got into like kind of consumer journeys and talking about the digital revolving door. Today, we want to focus a lot on something that's related to an interview that we have later on in the show, but uh, it's also a little bit technical in nature. And that's around federating content. Oh, boy. Does that mean it's American or something, or what? <laughs> Not confederating content, oh, got it. <laughs> but federating content. And that's a term that you can use. And I think a lot of people, it springs to mind certain things. But the, the whole approach around it is really interesting, because it sort of paints a picture of where we need to be in the future. But It also has a lot of confusion around it. And I'm reminded of a recent conversation I had with some executives at my health system where they were talking about the future state of our websites. And they often asked me outright, so is the future state, are we going to have like individual hospital websites or are we going to have a system website? Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know that we can
1: dictate quite as much anymore like we used to, right? I mean, it was let's simplify this, pull everything together. You know, when we've talked, we've had a lot of episodes around content management systems, for example, and the idea of, you know, a headless CMS or a multi-tenant solution or or something like that. I just don't know that how that then presents to the consumer. It's really what they want. Right. And so we've got to kind of spend our time in really with the interview that's going to come up later. We'll talk a little bit about that as it relates to physician information, but uh, you know, people need to be able to find what they want wherever they wherever they happen to be.
0: And wherever they happen to be is more than just our websites. It's also, you know if we if we talk about content federation and the technology that will support that and modern website technology, we could start to think of publishing content and elements of our organization in many different ways right it could be a system site that aggregates everything about us it could be a hospital specific site it could be a a landing page for a service line it could be a variety of different things and and you know in order to meet that customer whatever that whoever that website customer is in the place where they want to be with the information they want to have looking at content federation is an important piece of this
1: I think so. And We'll go ahead and turn to the kind of this first article. It's uh, from uh, workflowotg.com titled uh, Controlling Information Silos with Content Federation. And it's, you know, it's a couple of years old, but I think it really
0: kind of calls out some of these key pieces. Yeah, they state right up front that modern organizations, they need solutions that can discover, manage, and unify their content. Well, health systems are a great example of that. Whenever your health system may acquire a new physician practice or even a, a whole new uh, you know entity, another hospital or what have you, there is this need – to very quickly get that content in a way that you could present it across the entire enterprise and connect content together. That's the whole point, right? That's why we unify organizations together. And like in my case, I have, you know, I'm in a space now where I have multiple websites that are all built differently in independent silos. So that's why you need to kind of discover, manage, and unify the content across all of his web presences. So
1: let's restate that for a second. So this this idea refers to the ability to connect information systems and repositories with the objective of creating a more unified and harmonized approach to information management. So it sounds to me like there's a bunch of content in different places and the need to pull all of this together, maybe not into a single source of truth. I'm not sure that's the right way to describe it, but that's the kind of first thing that came to mind, right? Was this idea of kind of pulling everything together into to one accessible piece.
0: And not many organizations can go that far as to just say, okay, now we're going to just put everything into one source of truth and be done with it. Because you know, that's going to take a lot of time. I think some organizations, when they start to go down this path, they start with something called federated search. You familiar with that term?
1: Federated search. That's that idea of running a single search across you know multiple sites or databases or or what have you, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's a pretty common thing. I've seen that happen. You know, many of the larger organizations that have multiple smaller like microsites or smaller web pages or what have you, they use federated search. So you just go into one search console and you hit you know the term and it reports. Rep- reports back all of the searches, results across multiple different web pages. That's a really easy solution. And that's in effect, like creating Google for all your web presences on your site. But when you get into content federation, it it actually takes it up to a much higher level because it's not just type something in and get back the most closely aligned term that are on those pages. You're not talking about being able to read content and or metadata from repositories and moreover, being able to kind of manage that metadata across the multiple different places that you're searching for.
1: Again, the the federated search, your point, you know, whether it's Google search console or something like that, or utility, people have plugged those into all the websites they had across their health system. And it was able to return those search results, regardless of which sites you were physically on, even though these sites weren't, you know, in the same content management system or, or what have you. So this is a little bit different.
0: Right now in the past, if organizations had to start to put everything with metadata and kind of standardize all their content, they would go down the route of implementing an enterprise content management system, like basically decide on a new technology and move all of the website content there. That's one approach that you could do in order to solve that. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges with doing that. In fact, this article calls out that the fatal flaw with this approach was sometimes you have the failure to recognize That it's really impossible to do that when you're dealing with such large pools of data. I guess a website could be one thing, right? That's manageable. But now, what if you're what if you're also talking about a website, a backend directory of let's say physician data, backend repository of maybe like where all the patient portals are at, all of that other stuff? It suddenly becomes this like insurmountable task.
1: Yeah. I, I think again, we've tried to make things leaner and flatter for people to be able to access, where they're not, you know, having to dig and find, you know, all that. So yes, I mean, I think from a consumer's standpoint, in most cases we're trying to drive to some sort of utility or action. And this probably muddies the waters to
0: some degree. Yeah, it kind of does. Now, there's an evolution that's occurring with technology to create more of a content services platform approach. Or even content experience platforms, um, and what that means is that you you know that we talked about this right the the headless approach towards separating content from presentation layer. That's one of the one of these content service platforms. Another thing though is I have seen organizations take like all the data they pull all the data into like a data mart, and then they put metadata all around that. Think about now your find a doctor, right? If you have multiple sources of truth for like your find a doctor, you could create a data mart, so to speak, where you're pulling in all those inputs and standardizing metadata, at least across all of those different inputs. Or another thing to think about is like if you're doing a CRM and you're pulling customer data from multiple places, you have to standardize your data. And a lot of that is around a content service platform architecture. I know we're getting technical here. Hopefully, we're not talking too far over people's heads. A lot of architecture talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the idea here is you want to create an environment where you can not only ingest a lot of content in, but then be able to understand and categorize that content and then turn around and federate it to wherever it needs to be. In a very simplistic sense, that's really the whole point around a federated content approach.
1: I like it. It makes sense. And I think that's what, again, kind of like digital front door, whether people are saying these terms or not, I, you know, I don't know. But I think that's ultimately what people are trying to accomplish as we think about this next iteration, this next evolution of,
0: quote unquote, the website, well, why don't we do this, Reid? Let's let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll try to get we'll try to kind of rise out of the technical talk that we've been having here, and start to go down like path of how organizations are starting to look at that, and the imperativeness around this. And then we got a great interview after that that we can uh, that we're going to go to. But let's take a brief pause, and we'll be right back. Coming soon from Greystone Bowstring and Touchpoint Media Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
1: All right, so let's let's dive into a couple other things. We're gonna talk a little bit about the approach and maybe uh, you know, can, you know the audiences that we're talking about, the platforms, things like that. You know, practically how does this content federation, you know, service well, and what does it do?
0: There are, I guess, agreed upon approaches to starting to get down, going down content federation. We found an article again, you know, a couple of years old, but uh, it it's entitled "Overcoming Your Content Silos: Three Approaches to Content Federation." Well, the first one that they reference is the interoperability approach. A
1: pull approach, they call it, to content federation searches, you know, targeted repositories for
0: documents that include this federating repository. Basically, this full repository federation or rules can be used to select only portions of the source repository. Think of it like, um, you know, like when we talk about SEO and we're talking about the SERPs, we're pulling in like a snippet of the content that kind of informs what that content is about. These subsets can be, you know, maybe one specific type of document, like they could you could call it like this is content about a service line or this is content about a physician or something like that. But it can also add in other elements in that regard where it just basically says this is how old the content is and other things of that nature. That's called the interoperability approach. And basically it's kind of like making sure that all your content is understood to be the same. The second approach, though, is the metadata-centric approach. With this method, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more manual because you have to identify the content that's going to be federated from the various different places and standardize the data that's associated with that. So a little bit more than just identifying and saying this is physician data and this is that, now you're starting to look at the data structure. So you're looking at maybe on a uh, clinic webpage, you want these elements of content, right? This, these content models that are going to be part of this. And you have to identify those content models in a meta way. So like you could, might say, we need an information about the clinic. We need their hours of operation. We need their address we need driving directions. We need all the physicians that practice at this clinic. And then what you do is you kind of start to pull that together. And I know a couple of weeks ago when we were talking with Martha about this, schema and structured data is a big part of the metadata approach. So that's the, you know, we talked about,
1: you know, pulling it to so this, you know, that kind of uh, analogous to the word interoperability, right? How stuff works together. So that pull approach, this is a crawl-based approach. As you think about metadata, that makes sense. Uh, That's much how we think about websites, you know, that that bots crawl the site and, you know, pick up the data and that's how it gets returned. You know, the final one, the syndication approach, or maybe more of like a push even, uh, is their approach that they say that looks uh, at integrating the systems that use
0: content rather than systems that store content. The syndication approach, you might think about I I mentioned before CRM as an example of that. You could use a syndication approach where you're pulling customer or patient data into a database. You're able to then append that data with some of the other things that you're doing around that particular individual. Like maybe you sent them an email or maybe they responded to a marketing campaign or what have you. And then you're writing that data back into this repository, which is then kind of feeding back to the back end systems. This is like a much more sophisticated approach, right? It's kind of like almost bi-directional. Yeah, they even talk about, you know, the
1: read and write capabilities, right? You know, as we kind of think about uh, systems
0: and data. So that's interesting. Yeah, very complicated and very sophisticated. And this is where personalization kind of falls into here too, because then it could take cues from where you're coming from and maybe personalize it based on your GOIP or something like that. This is the three-phased approach, right? That most organizations go through to get there. Let's switch a little bit here and talk about the the audiences. I don't know what
1: episode it was, but it was a little while back. We covered these different types of audiences, and there's, there's five of them, you know, it starts with consumer. And I think that's where we start and stop sometimes it's just this idea of the consumer, you know, pe- they, they call it people in their families that receive care or services
0: from the hospital. And the consumer audience is important because that's where we, we as digital professionals, we spend a lot of time looking at personalization, understanding what you know the consumer audience, the health seekers want, building your find-a-doctor around what consumers want, what are they looking for. There's another audience, too, and you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, is your collegial audience, right? Those are the clinical or non-clinical employees, med staff. Yeah community physicians, et cetera, they're also an audience that looks at content and consumes content.
1: Third on the list. And, you know, we talk about that being internal comms in a lot of cases, right? Like to your point that I mentioned earlier, but third one, uh, collaborative. So community organizations, you know, uh, folks you may partner with, uh, maybe they align with your mission, you see this a lot, even collaborative with other large employers in the area or in some markets, you have things like sports teams and and whatnot, but but people you're working
0: alongside could be foundations even to kind of fulfill the mission. The reason why we're going through these different audiences is because each and every one of them is a consumer potentially of your content. Right. So as you're thinking about federating it, you have to federate the right type of content to those right people in, in the community, right? Next to that it are like sort of the corporate audiences. In this particular case, we're talking here about purchasers, payers, decision makers for large groups of individuals, like you said, businesses, right? Mm-hmm. To get access mm-hmm. to care, ACO partners, you know, a variety of different organizations. Again, they consume your content too. We've been talking about Find a Doctor for the past couple of weeks here. But if you think about it, some of those third party sites are payer websites that would be benefit from getting a sort of a, a, you know, the content around all your doctor populations federated to them in a consistent way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and then finally, you know, are uh, what we call constituents, maybe an advocacy title sometimes, but it's it's people and sometimes entities that care about the organization, but more so than that, they have influence or impact on the organization in most cases, you'll see that through like policy or governance or, you know, accreditation, things like that. So you think about your own existing board, maybe there's other boards in town, elected officials, but also, you know, you see folks like the accreditation bodies like Jayco, for example. So anyway, kind of be interesting. So you got consumers, collegial, uh, collaborative, corporate, and constituents. And so while these are audiences, Chris, to your point, how do we connect with them? Where do they get information? But we also think about things like that rented land. You know, we've, we've talked about social media as being kind of rented and we're starting to see
0: more and more of that, right? Third-party sites and whatnot. Yeah. So this is another kind of like dynamic to this whole content federations conversation is it's not just what the content is and who the audience is, it's like, where are they going to consume that content? right? That's the promise here. And they consume it in multiple different places. There's a lot of different entities that you can go to. Now, again, if you structure your content the right way and you have a good content federation approach, you could start to federate content to all of these places. Uh, think of simple things. Like we've talked about being able to federate web content into an email newsletter. That's a very simple way to do it, right? Where it dynamically pulls in, these are the five latest blog posts, and I'm going to send an email out to people every week about this. You can also do that internally through, you know, your intranet or whatever your internal communications platform are, where you could have that, you know, pulled together in a very dynamic sense. The next rung out from that is is what you refer to as rented land, social media, even third party listings like on Google, you know, those places where you can federate content to that as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that that gets us, you know, maybe to a good place to jump to our interview for the day, because I, I think, you know, as you think about federated content. In most cases, you're thinking about it as it relates to things you own. So we've talked about third-party sites and you've mentioned a lot of them, even Google, things like that. A good place to start, a good place to look at that is uh, physician data. know we talked about physician search a couple of weeks ago and people finding care and things like that. But I was fortunate to sit down here recently with Scott Andrews. He's the, the GM of, of health systems over at Kairos and Mark Minton, who's the GM of HealthSpark, which is a, a Kairos company. And so we talked a little bit quite honestly, not just about physician content, but but where does that physician content go and where people expect to find it? They've got a recent study that's out. And like you and I, Chris, talked about, uh, obviously a lot of people care, you know, do they take my insurance, right? So the need for this content to be federated to a payer website, for example, is something we maybe haven't thought a lot about. So I had a chance to sit down and visit with them Uh, We'll take a quick pause here and then come back uh, with a conversation uh, that I had recently with both Scott and Mark.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
1: All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. I am fortunate today to be joined by two uh, folks that actually know what they're talking about, uh, which is a nice change of pace from listening to Chris and I for the last uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, Scott Andrews, who's the GM of Health Systems over uh, at our good friends at Kairos, and Mark Minton, who's the GM at uh, Spark, which is also a Kairos company. Guys, thanks for uh, coming on for a few minutes. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, Reed. Happy to be here. We'll start, Scott, with you a little bit of your background and, and kind of what you guys are focused on right now at Kairos, and then, and then Mark, maybe the same.
3: Well, uh, thanks, Reed, again for having us. Kyrus is, uh, is really one of the preeminent uh, brands out there in terms of uh, patient access. We've been at this uh, game now for uh, about 10 years or so. And uh, earlier this year, we, we uh, invited HealthSpark into the family so that we're not just uh, working with um, healthcare providers, but now we're also working with uh, healthcare payers. And really, the combined organization is all about Streamlining the access process, whether you're visiting a a health plan website, whether you're visiting a health system website, we're trying to enable uh, the member, the consumer to search, match and find the right provider for them, understand what it might cost them. And, and ultimately make it easier for everybody involved uh, operationally, whether that's your access center agent, whether that's whether you're doing it in a self-service manner and and making sure that the provider understands who that uh, patient's going to be when they show up so that it's a better experience for everybody involved.
2: Really happy to be here and, and have a chance to speak to, to your audience. I think what Scott mentioned is um, HealthSpark in April became part of Kairos And it's very interesting because we we're tackling very similar problems, but from just different angles. Kairos on the health system side, HealthSpark on the health plan side. And we saw this opportunity to, to create a connection and the plumbing between the two because we have really interesting data on the health system side, and the health plan doesn't have access to that today. And so connecting those two together, we really think enables people to make smarter healthcare choices, which is really, as a mission-driven company, both of us, we're, we're here to help people find the right care at the right time. And and connecting those two entities that previously had not been connected, we think provides a real value for both the entities, but also the people that we serve as as patients and members.
1: So I think that's really interesting. So you know, Chris and I have, have talked now for a couple of episodes around the topic of you know finding physicians online or digital front door and in those types of things. And I think you know one thing we really haven't dug into is this idea that. Uh, you know what? Maybe they—they're not, and I think everybody knows this probably intellectually, but they're not necessarily the consumers. Not necessarily coming to the hospital website first, right? I mean, they're—they're they're starting in Google and they're ending up like who knows where. And, and it was really interesting. I was looking at y'all's 2021 Patient Access Journey Report, which we'll we'll link to and for folks that are that are interested in downloading. I as well had done a little bit of research as well as Chris had uh, just on some provider directory kind of best practices for a client, you know, kind of a thing in, in serving a bunch of consumers in this four state area for a client, it, it came back with a lot of really interesting information of what people wanted to find on a physician profile or what made a difference when searching for a physician. But inevitably it was always insurance was first. Like that was the first thing. You know, Mark, you know, I'd love to, you know, kind of hear your thoughts around, because again, us in the hospital world, uh, we get pretty, we get blinders on and we start thinking about hospitals. Like where, where does that fit in this consumer journey? You know, I mean, is that, that's where people are going? It sounds like.
2: If they don't start there, it's definitely part of the process, right? Because I understanding is my doctor in my network. um, And what's that going to, and ultimately, what is that going to cost? Because in or out of network, and now we have you know complex benefits with tiers and other things that the doctor you choose has an impact on, on the, the cost that you pay right from a, from a member perspective. So we believe that whether you start on the hospital side, the health plan side, the payer side, or like Google, that information should be consistent. And I think that's, that's part of the, the thesis that we have is that right now, if you, if you go search on a hospital system, you're going to see some information about a doctor and you go search on the health plan it's not going to match. There'll be certain things that are the same, <laughs> right. but they don't match, right? So that creates distrust, right? Because if I if I'm not finding the same information, who do I trust? Do I trust the health system? Do I trust the health plan? Do I trust Google? And so making sure that, that data is consistent we think provides a level of trust which then enables people to have, you know, faith in I'm, I'm picking the right provider for me at the right time.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting because Scott I would love kind of your thoughts on this, but um I think it was in last week's episode, Chris and I talked about a a study where like, you know, 86% of people trust whatever it is that they find on Google, right? Or on the internet as being credible. Well, that's problematic in my mind to some degree, because that just means, you know, pretty much like, you know, nine out of 10 folks are just going to, whatever they see, they just go, okay, like that must be true. This idea of syncing up this data, I, you know, I would assume, you know, we, we've again kind of thought about it in the hospital world, uh, but starting to realize, you know, that the digital front door is not the hospital website. So, I mean, kind of, Scott, how do you how do you kind of define and think about this idea of the digital front door now, including the payer side and everything?
3: My children tell me every day, Dad, I, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. And to Mark's point, what what we what we've found is that. Whether it's uh, a Google, whether it's the plan, whether it's the system, the data is often inconsistent. And to answer your question, the digital front door is all of those avenues. And so it's our goal to make sure that they're consistent. Um, And that all starts with the underlying data we have found at the health system, Um, because That's the information that's getting fed to the plan. That's the information that's getting uh, fed to the web, you know, the listings agents. And, And if that information is not up to date and accurate and then sent to those other locations, then you will have those inconsistencies. And so your digital front door isn't, www.deisingerhealth.org, right it is it is google it is your plans it is bing it's instagram it's facebook you want all of those avenues to be consistent and up to date with the same information so that the actual so in actuality i can say to my children well if you read it on the internet related to a health system you're right it is true
1: what does this mean for physicians you know, how, how, what is their viewpoint on this? Do they even realize this is a potential gap?
3: Most physicians don't come in on Monday morning, look at their calendar, and say, "Where did all these appointments come from?" They're focused on how do I deliver the best care to that individual, right? So, so whether somebody called their front desk. Whether somebody booked an appointment online through Google, whether they booked it online through their health plan, whether they booked it online through their health system website, they don't, that's not what they're worried about. Now, they may worry about it if it turns out that the individual that shows up on their calendar, they're not the right physician for at that point in time in that person's journey. And so that's when they'll start to raise questions. Well, how did this person end up on my calendar? But typically they don't think about that. And so Cyrus's job is to make sure that, you know, when you are booking, whether that's over the phone or online, you know, we've built out a profile of that provider and we know that this is the way the provider is practicing today, not how they were trained 20 years ago, so that we can make sure that you are getting the right, phys- uh, the right patient uh, at the right time.
2: Right. And I'd love to, I'd love to expand on that just with with real life example of what we've done with a a health plan in the, in Northeastern Pennsylvania, where we took 4,400 doctors that were on the Kairos platform that had this enriched data. And we took it and married it with the health plan data that they had about these same 4,400 doctors. We enhanced 80% of their profiles with education, training, languages spoken, philosophies of care, things that if I'm going to search for uh, on my health plan for my doctor, I didn't have access to that information prior to us enhancing that data. So it's it's a big deal to Scott's point to make sure. I mean, when we think about, it, we had forty, almost 49 percent of doctors added languages spoken to their profile on this health plan. So you think about it, if I'm a doctor that has speaks Spanish, and my patients don't know that, I'm going to miss the opportunity to have the right patients come to me. So I mean, it, it's a whether they whether the doctors understand it or not, there's a huge value. To being presented in the right way with the most the most robust data about me to to pay potential patients on the health plan side.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think Scott, to your point, uh, I'm guessing the times they get concerned is when they hear from something, somebody, something's wrong, right? Like they they hear from a patient or a buddy or a friend in the community or whatever. I tried to do X, Y, or Z, it didn't work. This all goes back, and Scott, I think you said it, but to this, this data layer, right? This information that we have within the health system, which in my experience, whether we're talking about consumers or brick and mortar locations or whatever it may be, is somewhat inadequate. Obviously, there's a technology layer to this, but how do people really start down that path of, okay, I've got a bunch of doctors. How do I find all the right information? What what is the source of truth for most folks? I mean, is it a credentialing system or is that not really where we are?
3: The answer is there's lots of different sources of truth depending upon the data element. You certainly want the credentialing system to tell me what you are certified in and where are you allowed to practice you probably don't want the credentialing system to tell me where you're located because that information might get updated once a year in the credentialing system. Whereas the electronic health record where you're working out of every single day knows that you're on Main Street today and you're over at Oak Street tomorrow. And and so we'll take the location information from an electronic health record. But then there's other information like photos and philosophies of care that Mark highlighted earlier. That's typically coming from a marketing department. So that could be a marketing database um, and or a spreadsheet. And so the point is, is we know that for a provider, we have 115 different data elements on average, and we're going to figure out where the, what the source of truth is for each one of those data elements, tap them into the profile that we're building out on that provider, make sure that it's updated every single day in in a compliant manner that has the appropriate oversight so that each time something is changing about that provider, it's updated and then it's sent out
1: to the worldwide Web. That's interesting. So it sounds to me then kind of what you're saying, because we've always talked about this idea of having a single source of truth, right? And now a lot of that came from organizations' work around directory management, you know, getting information correct on Google, for lack of a better way to say it. Uh, mainly focused around brick and mortar locations, hospitals, surgery centers, urgent care clinics, things like that, right? And then there is some of that uh, around physicians and then it bleeds into reputation management and, you know, some of those types of things. But it sounds like that may be a losing battle to some degree to try to get this stuff in one place, i.e. a spreadsheet is what most people are doing, I guess, you know, or a Google Doc or something like that, but it is to Really understand where the most relevant uh, or most current information is, and then providing ways for that information to find its way into you know, ultimately the physician profile. In this case, is that fair?
3: That's exactly right, Reed. You hit it right on the head. It's it's there's lots of different data sources. Those data sources are going to get updated um, as part of their normal processes. You just want to make sure you're tapping into those data sources so that you can have the most up-to-date and current profile that is then shared on Google, at the health plan, at the health system, in a mobile app, on a specialty line page, wherever it is you've got your digital uh, inventory of channels where you're going to allow access to come in.
1: I'll be honest, as a hospital marketing guy, I don't know that I've thought a lot about the payer side of the equation. That's just not Part of most of these marcom departments' daily visibility, I guess, or you know, certainly there's people within the organizations that do payer contracts, and and we, you know, we may get involved if like, oh, we're going out of network with anthem, right? Or something, we got to get letters, but you know, so there's that kind of stuff, the reactionary crisis issue navigation side, but there's not really the proactive working with a payer that at least I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, that a lot of marketing departments are doing. How should this be part of marketing's uh, kind of viewpoint and thought process as they think about, you know, acquisition, patient acquisition, things like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, except we know that uh, like i think the late, latest chiro study over 50% of people go to the health plan website when they're trying to find a doctor so we know that there's traffic and there's available patients looking for care cuz you don't just go look you don't go to your insurance's website just to kind of kick the tires right you're going there cuz right. you need you need something and we know that i mean the health plans and the systems they have relationships i mean they they have contracting so there's the battle relationship right where we're negotiating contracts but they also have relationships where you know, for musculoskeletal, I want my, as a health plan, I want my members to go see the, this this group of doctors in the system because they're high quality with good outcomes. And so there's also interesting relationships kind of behind the scenes that then we can help steer those patients from a health plan website to the, the right doctors. And I, I also think from a, to your point, this is new, right? That connecting hospitals and health plans at this level is something that when we talked to our health plans about it, you know, about a year ago when we were starting this journey, um, it was new to them as well, right? Oh, they have not thought about how does that data sitting on the health system side, how can that help our our members on the health plan side and vice versa where before to Scott's point is everybody wanted to be the digital front door, but guess what? As the patient, as the member, I pick the door I'm going to walk through first, right? And so making sure that that data flows across is key. And I think it's been eye opening talking to health plans and health systems where before it was all about control and i want to control that experience to more about what is the experience really where does that that patient go and make sure that regardless of where they are i'm i'm influencing that with the right information
1: i think that's really well said I, it's just it's interesting to me because i it is a very you know adversary based relationship i think in most people's minds you know in, inside of a hospital i'm not trying to overly generalize here, but it's just not something I don't think it was like, okay, let's get the listing in Google. Correct. Let's get the profile on the hospital website really strong. And let's get those to rank high in Google and try to bring people there. I don't think that goes away necessarily. Uh, but to your point, it's going to get harder and harder to prescribe, if you will, the patient journey. What has the last 18 months done as it relates to this? We think about the alternate care models and the virtual care and telehealth stuff. How does that play into all this or or does it?
3: It's a good question, Reed, and, and it certainly does. I mean, what it's forced um, organizations to be is more flexible. If there was a silver lining in the last 18 months, I think that Many of the organizations that we work with have said that their, their technology roadmaps have leaped five years, uh, would, have, what would, it, would have taken them five years, they did it in five months. And specifically, they're, they're mostly referring to televisits uh, and telehealth when they, when they talk about that. The good news is, again, through our studies at Kairos, you know, now that you've introduced that to consumers and patients, they don't want that to stop. They still want that Um, as an element of the of the access that they can they can tap into that consumers care about cost, quality and convenience. Right. And cost they are going to get on the plan side. You know, the quality they're going to get through the you know, where did you study and how many times have you done this procedure? And the convenience could be when is the doctor available? Can I do it through telehealth? Or where are they located? Is it close to my work? Or is it, you know, down the street from my house? And so I think what the last 18 months has told us is, we need to continue to be flexible. We need to continue to provide the most convenient way for consumers to reach their providers um, so that they're going to access care and that they're uh, going to get in there to get the care that they need and not hold back just because of the of a pandemic.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think we're, we're seeing the need to be more flexible kind of with everything that we're doing and amenable to what the consumer expects. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. Um you know, it was really funny. I told you I did this little study, surveyed some consumers and that kind of thing. And I thought one thing that was interesting was you, you find a lot of things that that um, you probably expected to find. You know, do they take my insurance? How close are they to where I'm physically located? Uh, things like that. And then, you know, are they accepting new patients? And you go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And the virtual telehealth, oh, okay, that makes sense. But one thing that it never really dawned on me, but there was, um, are they accepting new patients? But then there was also the, how quickly can I get in? It's the same question, but different, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, so again, people, I think to your point, uh, it really is about the cost, uh, the convenience and, and, you know, is there a way we've kind of mistaken this idea of loyalty in healthcare. I think there's preference, certainly, but I'm not so sure there's loyalty in the way that we think about, you know, brand loyalty and things like that, right? Like people aren't driving past one urgent care to get to another urgent care. Uh, this has been really interesting. So everybody's listening, I'm sure is is kind of starting to formulate and think about ideas and and we want to make sure you know, we provide a link to this year's uh, patient access journey report. And I know you guys have the, the Atlas conference coming up next week. You know What are some recommendations on some kind of practical next steps for those Marcom folks that are out there listening?
3: The theme of Atlas is the future is flexible. We're going to have lots of different folks from lots of different organizations who are sharing best practices, who are uh, telling what it's like uh, out there in the real world. And so one thing I would encourage people to do is to tap into that because they're going to learn from their peers. Aside from that, you have to acknowledge that you want to improve the situation. And and I think if if you can get to the point in your organization where leadership is saying this is something we need to improve, whether it's our whether it starts with your directory, whether it talks about how all this information is is sent out to the internet, um that's symptom number one that's got to be solved for because I've seen many organizations where leadership wasn't bought into this project and it fails. And so you got to get leadership to buy in to understand what's the problem you're trying to solve, what's the experience you're trying to create. And if you can do that, then you've got a a real solid chance of being successful here. And again, I would tie it back to talk to peers, go investigate other websites, look at the profiles of your providers on a plan versus your providers on your own website and then come talk to us because we're here to help
1: you. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the leadership, that's probably true in just about every initiative yeah. <laughs> to, to some extent. So I think that's one certainly that we, we can't overlook.
2: I would just add on the, we talked about some of the relationships payers and, and providers have, but I think one I didn't talk about was like, many of these health plans and health systems have joint ventures with ACOs, or they have you know, these value-based uh, payment contracts. And to be thinking about who are those key payers that I'm working with, where those are in place, and then how can I enhance that connection and relationship with what we've been talking about today, the data sharing and the connectivity, where today is more you know, a paper-based contract, where if we can start sharing data, we can drive value to the health systems because we're more patients are seeing more valuable information and booking into that system. So I think... Think about who, who your relationships are with, whether it's joint venture or value-based care. And those could be very interesting um, relationships to, to start expanding beyond just a contract basis, but really a, a data and, and a true partnership.
1: That is awesome. Uh, certainly appreciate it again. Uh, the 2021 Patient Access Journey Report. Uh, navigate over to Kairos uh, and download that. We'll have a link in the show notes and again, special thanks, uh, Scott Andrews from Kairos, uh, Martin Mitten from uh, Hellspark, which is also a Kairos company. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Love to have you guys back on in the future. Thanks a lot, Reed. Happy to do it. Anytime. Thanks.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
1: All right. Special thanks to both Scott and Mark for coming on the show. Certainly, um, big fans of all the folks over at Kairos They've been on. Number of folks have been on the show through the years, uh, but but really appreciate uh, them coming on and talking a little bit about really pay your websites and kind of you know this idea that. You know, people, people are looking for information all over. And quite honestly, something until I talked to them, I hadn't thought a whole lot about. There's other places out there, just like we talked about a little while ago around audiences and, and expectations and things like that. So appreciate their time.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Well, we're getting, we're rounding out the year. We're getting close. As always, we'll have some surveys and listener surveys and things like that and the award show and all that kind of fun stuff coming up. Before much too much longer, quite honestly, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, like we said earlier, we're at 248, so we're just just a couple of weeks away from from episode 250. So maybe something there as well. But certainly appreciate all the support. Again, TouchPoint is the website. Sign up for the TPS report, all that kind of fun stuff. Chris, let's do a couple of uh, couple of recommendations, and then we'll uh,
0: we'll call it a week. You bet. Reed, I'm going to, I was going to recommend a movie this week, but then I actually was thinking about it and I had a really fun event that I did with my team. I went out to Boston uh, last week and met in person with my team again, which is always good to do. And we ended up doing a team building exercise. Have you ever thrown axes before Reed? Yes.
1: Yes. Not at a team building event, nor at uh, any
0: of the places that people may think. But I have done an axe before, yes. I've done it maybe once before. I live in Minnesota, after all, and there are bars that actually offer that sometimes. But we did a team outing, and it was a really great team building event. We went out and threw axes. Where we went to was a, a, a location that allowed for, they taught people how to do it safely. Obviously, safety is a big piece of this, right? But then they also structured sort of a bracket based playoff so to speak nice it was a great time it, it took us a couple of hours to do and by the way of course there was alcoholic beverages involved so i would recommend that if you're looking at a really interesting fun eventful team building kind of exercise to do do some throwing. consider it there i'm sure it's like everywhere every major municipality may have a place where you can go and and do it because it's so much fun that's my recommendation this week very nice. Very nice. I like it. I'm actually
1: uh, going to recommend really two apps. They kind of go together. So recently my son uh, has gotten into sports card uh, collecting, which he did. I mean, he's done a little bit over, you know, on and off through his growing up years or whatever, but, but recently has really gotten into it. And so we've drug out all my old sports cards and things like that. And there's a couple of apps that are worth downloading. If you're into this to keep up with the market right? So sports cards have become highly, highly collectible, which I won't even get into right now, but there are a couple of apps. There's a guy called the sports card investor. He has a YouTube channel. He's done really well. He looks at it from an investment standpoint. And so he has an app sports card investor. He actually created a separate app, which also has a web presence called market movers. And it's a, uh, you, you can join it. There's a little bit that you can do for free, but it's also a membership based piece. But you can look up these cards and it's like the stock market. It shows you the growth over time and how many of them are in circulation and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's really pretty fascinating. But yeah, Market Movers is the app. But also check out the Sports Card
0: Investor uh, YouTube channel if you're into sports cards. I love it. A twofer recommendation right there. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Well, it's a it's a lot of fun. It's uh, way more expensive than uh, when I was a kid, but uh, these cards are also way more valuable than when I was a kid. So it's uh, it's interesting for sure. All right. Well, another great episode, another great week. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. We certainly appreciate that, and and you know tell a friend. Uh, that's still the number one way that uh, you can help us out is to spread the good news. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.